0: You know, as we get started, I want to clarify something. A recent piece on your incidentalcomics.com website. One of the pieces is titled, The Librarian's Guide to Book Etiquette. And the second rule is, don't write in the margins. And this show is called Marginalia, so Uh I just need to know, is that a hard and fast rule?
1: No, as long as it's not a public library book, feel free to write in the margins. I have some personal anxiety about doing it, but everyone else, it's okay.
0: (laughs) Marginalia.
1: Notes in the margin of a
0: book. Notes, commentary, and similar material written in the margin of a book. Comments and notes which are are incidental incidental or additional additional to the
1: main topic. topic In the margin of a book.
0: When he's not working as an orthodontist, Grant Snyder is typically drawing comics. His work has appeared in national newspapers and magazines, and several of his collections have been published as books, including his most recent, The Art of Living, Reflections on Mindfulness and the Overexamined Life. I recently spoke with Snyder about his comics, his process, and life. I'm Beth Golay. This is Marginalia, and here's our conversation. I am with Grant Snyder in studio. This is new. This is, you know, hasn't happened for a few years. So I'm so pleased to have you here. We are talking about the art of living, reflections on mindfulness and the overexamined life. And this is your third book of comics for adults. Can you give our listeners, like, maybe a brief overview of? What is included in this book?
1: Yeah, like my, my previous two books, The Shape of Ideas and I Will Judge You by Your Bookshelf. It's a collection of one and two page comic strips on a specific theme. This one being mindfulness, paying attention, walking around in nature with and being with your thoughts. And each one's a different exploration of that broader theme, loosely connected by um, a comic called The Attention Manifesto.
0: Yeah, and I want to talk a little bit about the Attention Manifesto because all of the comics fall under one of nine points on this Attention Manifesto, like I will pay attention to what's in front of me or I won't be afraid to be bored. Those are just two of the points on the manifesto. Can you read the Attention Manifesto to us?
1: Okay, and and the the book is a little more gentle. It's not technically a whole manifesto, so that's why we didn't (laughs) make this the title, but I do think it provides a nice um, jumping-in point for the, the book itself. The Attention Manifesto. I will pay attention to what's in front of me. I will make a blank space in each day. I will do one thing at a time. I will put my thoughts on paper. I will go outside no matter the weather. I won't be afraid to be bored. I will experience the world with my body and mind. I will find beauty in the everyday. And I will stay open to wonder. Yeah, I don't know what the book is about either. (laughs) So my process is I don't go out to set and write uh, a comic book. Um, I draw a weekly comic that I post on incidentalcomics.com and on Instagram and Facebook. And really, whatever great idea bubbles up that day is what I work with. So eventually, I I saw that a lot of these comics were about my struggles and inability to pay attention and focus long enough to sit and draw a comic strip. So kind of as a, a gentle reminder to myself, I wrote that attention manifesto with some helpful and kind of challenging tips on how to stay focused, how to pay attention, and how to live a better life in result of it.
0: I'm also realizing that this conversation might be somewhat difficult because we're talking about something visual over audio. I mean, have you had many of these conversations where we're, we're saying, oh, and look at this, and look at this, and look at this, and nobody who... Well, for, for all <laughs> the downsides of
1: the, uh, of the Zoom uh, event world and Zoom interview world, the nice thing is you can flash some images on the screen. So... Um, In this case, you guys can just imagine it listening at home, but if you want to scroll through, you know, a lot of these are online and it'd be nice to get the book in front of you too to to know we're referencing. (laughs) But I'll try to paint a picture.
0: And that comes out on on April 5th, by the way. So some might hear the word comics and want to immediately dismiss your work, but I want to point out that subtitle again, Reflections on Mindfulness and the Overexamined Life. So this isn't fluff. At at times, the book felt very interior and and sometimes palpable. And I could feel your, you know, to me, I could feel your struggle for order and control. So talk to me about how it feels to share this internal mindfulness and over-examination with readers.
1: Well, yeah, it's funny you said that about it being a little bit deeper than maybe when you think of comics, because my seven-year-old son said to me the other day, Dad, weren't you going to draw something that's funny? <laughs> and I didn't really have a good response. But, um, you know, I, I think a lot of these just come with me sitting with my thoughts in a blank piece of paper. And what tends to bubble up are some maybe anxieties I have, some things I'm working through. And when I'm able to do that in comic strip form, I think it does, it gets a bit more lightness to it. It's not just a <laughs> um, as difficult as it might be if I was just putting words to it. But Um, You know, the pictures do have some humor, I think. But if I examine those with a little bit of that comic distance, um, I think I'm able to get deeper than I otherwise would.
0: And to be fair, I found myself laughing out loud, you know, quite a few times as I was reading it. Every
1: fifth or sixth page. (laughs) (laughs) Um,
0: But I was reading an interview you gave to Kristen Radke. and In that interview, you said you find it challenging to make the personal more universal. And I, first of all, I respectfully disagree. I think perhaps the reason I could feel the emotion in your pieces is because they often mirrored what I was experiencing. Now, your interview with Kristen was in 2018. And I'm wondering, do you still find it challenging? Or are you discovering that your personal is more universal?
1: I think it's still challenging because if I sit down to the drawing table and say, hey, I'm going to draw this comic that's going to connect universally with all these readers across the world, um, I generally fall flat and <laughs> it ends up appealing to absolutely nobody. But when I find this like weird part of my personality and think, hey, maybe it's not really, maybe nobody's going to connect and it, it, when I share it on paper, um, but then I put it down in, in comic strip form, inevitably that's what really um, readers respond to. And so I when I try to force it, yeah, it's, it's a challenge when I am pretty honest and maybe um, look at these parts of myself that are a little that I might not share in polite conversation with a friend, that's when I think I, I tend to hit home a little bit better. And okay. I do have to say a thank you to Kristen because she was the editor for the Believer magazine for a few years and published a few of these strips and was a big supporter for my work early on and does some great graphic novels herself.
0: You know, I did see where your strips have been published in quite a few publications you know that listeners would be aware of. Can you talk to us about some of those and and you know which ones you're most proud of being included in?
1: Yeah, so I I always talk about my start as a college cartoonist for the University Daily Kansan, which then led to a a strip for a few years at the Kansas City Star, which was where I was living at the time. Sometime later on, after I had stopped drawing for the Star, I submitted to the New York Times Book Review and was totally floored when they emailed back and said, hey, we want to use some of your stuff. So I've kind of submitted to them on and off for actually the past decade now which is crazy to think about. But there, I think, the recurring place where I'm always just super thrilled to see a, a book review piece being published.
0: Now, um, drawing comics, though, is not your day job, is it?
1: Yeah. So I work as an orthodontist in Derby, Kansas, three days a week, and I draw comics the other two days. <laughs> and so it's a interesting balance. Um, I am always kind of reevaluating, like, you know, which one I should be focusing on at any, any given time. But I've heard comics described as like being a modern-day lighthouse keeper. You know, you're up in a, a little room with your thoughts and your, your pen and paper alone, so it's nice to get out in the world and experience life outside of my head for a few hours a week.
0: So talk to me about, you know, your thoughts and pen and paper, and I want to talk a little bit about your process because you said you do one piece a week. But, you know, what goes into making the individual strip? Do you do you ponder it for a while before you put pen to paper, or do you work a lot of it out on the page?
1: So this is where I'm, I'm a huge advocate for keeping a notebook. And it took me a long time to figure this out. But I think probably most writers and, and a lot of visual artists as well have a notebook practice or sketchbook practice. Early on, when I would sit down to just that horrifying blank page, I would <laughs> <laughs> I, I would just be, be scared and sometimes not really put anything down at all in, in the hour or two of sitting there with the blank page. So I realized, okay, I, I can fill my day with jottings in my notebook. I can take it on my lunch break. I can walk around town with it and and draw things from life. If somebody says something funny I want to remember, I I make a little note of it, you know, in awkward social situations sometimes. (laughs) (laughs) But I I carry the notebook with me wherever I go. I actually have it in my backpack right by me right right now. And so when I need to return and have an idea, pull out an old notebook. Maybe it was from last week. Maybe it was from a couple years ago. And generally that's the seed of an idea for a comic strip.
0: I want to talk a little bit about one of the items on the manifesto. It is, I will go outside no matter the weather. And I had noticed that many of your pieces catalog things that you observe out of doors. So do you have a daily routine to get yourself outside?
1: I do try to go on my lunch break at my day job. You know, I have about an hour and I I walk around parks or walk around neighborhoods and I, I sketch things. And sometimes I bring a book and read that. Sometimes I turn on a podcast or talk on the phone. But when I just force myself to be alone with my thoughts in my sketchbook, as kind of mundane as my surroundings might be, or distracted as I might be, I'm able to gain some focus and a lot of times find some unexpected ideas. So yeah, just that action of being out in nature, bringing a pen and paper along, I think is really valuable to my process.
0: You know, as I was reading some of your pieces, I was also struck by the fact that if someone were listening to me read that piece aloud, frame by frame, but perhaps they had their eyes closed and they didn't realize that my rhythm and my meter and my cadence was determined by the frame, it would sound like poetry. And then I read your piece Questions for Mary Oliver. So talk to me about your relationship with poetry, because in another piece, The Pursuit of Idleness, one of the frames warns of the temptation to, God forbid, write poetry.
1: (laughs) I I do make some tongue-in-cheek references to, you know, poetry and poets and this book and my previous book i will judge you by your bookshelf but i'm definitely like an an aspiring poet um i've actually tried (laughs) and possibly failed to put poems down on paper without pictures to go with them which for me is this very challenging thing and my next big project i'm working on is actually poetry comics for kids so i'm explicitly setting out to combine comics and poetry i don't know how it's going to work it's super exciting but i do think a lot of the comics in this book could fall in that category of poetry comics
0: and so I also want to talk about some of the frames. I, and I, I wrote down here like pages 98, 99-ish, all the way up to 107. The frames take on a new look and a new structure and a new shape. You know, like I'm thinking of uphill or downhill or the swimming pool. Can you talk to me about how shape or structure is determined?
1: So like poetry, um, comics is usually contained on, at least the comic side. draw are contained on a single page. You know, some of these go to a whole book spread, but... Generally, they're going to be seen as a whole and read individually line by line or panel by panel. So I'm always looking at ways to kind of break the monotony of lining up panels. Um, So if I can draw a big scene or maybe have it as a character riding a bike up or downhill, some I kind of get rid of the panels entirely and use like cut shapes of paper, which is pretty fun. But those ways to get outside just the typical structure, I think, make me think a little bit differently about the writing and the drawing process. And hopefully it allows the reader to kind of get outside the... You know the, the usual rhythm or routine of the regular comic strip, and give some breathing room to some of the ideas. Comics are an interesting design challenge because I want them to fit in a book, but also be visible on like a, a phone screen or a laptop. Or when I was first starting out, a newspaper page. So I've always had this tension between: okay, I want it to be something that somebody can see on their computer or on their phone when they're slightly distracted and respond to and be gripped by immediately. But I also want it to be something that can be printed off in book form or maybe a poster to put on somebody's wall. And so it's that balance of like detail and simplicity of bold color and and structure and and all these other things that give it some visual excitement.
0: When you were creating comics for the newspaper, I mean, were those in color as well? Because I I think of, you know, a lot of times the comics or the, the political cartoons or whatever that I would see would just be black and white. And every once in a while they would be in color. Have you always had the option of using color?
1: So if you look way, way back in, I think around 2009 was when I started drawing my single page strip once a week for the Kansas City Star. It was called Delayed Karma, but basically became my Incidental Comics. Um, I was doing black and white, you know, kind of looked like a traditional New Yorker cartoon with some ink lines and marker shading. And then after about a year or two of drawing that, they said, oh, we're moving you to a Sunday special section. You're going to draw in color. And I said... I don't want to do that. I don't know how to do that. (laughs) And looking back, it was probably the best thing that happened to me artistically because yeah, it took some time for me to figure out how to add color to my strips. But doing that, I think just made them so much more visually striking and made me enjoy the process a lot more. I still occasionally work in black and white, but it's pretty rare. I think, yeah, we're used to seeing things on our computer screen and phone screen in full color. And I do think it really adds a nice element to my drawings, especially.
0: Have you always been an artist? I mean, there is an art to orthodontia, but, <laughs> but it's completely different.
1: Yeah, people don't like you to get creative with their orthodontics <laughs> as, as much, although there is some detail and art, artistry to it. Um, yeah, I, I grew up drawing, writing from as, as early as I can remember, inspired by newspaper comic strips like Calvin and Hobbes, The Far Side, things like that. My twin brother Gavin and I have always been super competitive in everything, academic, sports, but especially art. So We would always bounce ideas off of each other and i would draw one character on the page he'd draw another one and we'd fill these pages with our our thoughts and ideas and stories Um, and we still do that to a point he reads my comics and says oh this is good this is bad change this and so yeah that having that collaborative process having um, grown up drawing all the time i just kind of stuck with it
0: you mentioned an earlier book i will judge you by your bookshelf and my colleague, Suzanne Perez, actually reviewed that for KMUW when it came out. And in her review, she recognized herself in many of the observances that you drew, especially, and this is a quote, I am wanted for unpaid library fines. <laughs> and now libraries across the country, including the Wichita Public Library, are looking into eliminating Thank library goodness. fines. Yeah, good good news for you.
1: <laughs> exactly. And yeah, it's kind of embarrassing when I have to bring back a book that I left out in the rain on my porch and, you know, it, now it's all soaked and they, they don't want it back or you know, a book that was how to draw, but the kids actually drew in the book. And then I, you know, take it to them and kind of apologize and say, oh, I'll, I'll, I'll pay for it, you know, no big deal. So I think I'll, they probably won't get rid of those kind of fines. But yeah, for the overdue fines, I think that's a great benefit to readers everywhere.
0: Okay, so now your librarian's guide to book etiquette is making more sense. Yep. So. <laughs> um, so talk to me about the differences that you experienced in writing, you know, I will judge you by your bookshelf, which I that is me. You don't invite me to your house unless you want me if you don't want me to judge you by your bookshelf, don't invite me. So talk to me about writing that one versus the art of living, which does feel more personal.
1: Yeah, so that's the the comics about books and reading and writing and literature, I think, are are me taking a very, very specific theme and just focusing on very small aspects of it. So quirks of the reader's personality, quirks about libraries or bookstores. And you know, that's an interesting challenge because I'm I'm taking a fairly narrow topic and narrowing it down even more. I feel like um, the art of living is, you know, just about personal experiences with maybe a, a, the lens of poetry or mindfulness to it, but you, you can read the book and find it's really about anything. So that's a unique challenge, um, you know, trying to find the broader theme to to draw these together. But I realized at some point, yeah, they all are about paying attention. They're all about being more mindful of of your, your patterns of thought and, and feeling and trying to capture those in words and pictures, which is, really what I try to do every time I sit down to the drawing table.
0: Now you've also um, created some picture, picture books, books right? right? So talk to me about writing and illustrating a specific picture book for kids versus a book full of pieces and, and panels.
1: So I feel like almost comics is my first language just because I've, I've done it for so long. So if you put me in a, a, a room and said hey you need to write a comic strip and draw it in an hour I could do that. Now if you did that with a picture book an hour later, I'd still be sitting, <laughs> shaking <laughs> a little bit nervous. So, I, I when I first started doing picture books, um, around the time my daughter was born, eight or nine years ago, I thought, "Oh, this, you know, it's words, it's pictures. I'm experienced with that. No big deal." Um, I realized it was a completely different language, and so I've I've always loved picture books and and read them, you know, even before I had kids and was a father. But I quickly found when I got into the process, the tricks and the things that I'm so used to for comic strips don't really translate to picture books. So I've been learning this language over the last, almost a decade or so. Um, I still feel like I'm a beginner at it, but it's a really exciting thing because I can give my drawings a bit more space and detail and breathing room. I can write in a new way and hopefully it opens up a bunch of new like visual and artistic possibilities in my work.
0: Now is there anything, I mean, we, I've been all over the place, so <laughs> sorry about that. Is there anything that you wanna talk about that I haven't asked?
1: No, I mean, I, I think the, the thing I hope for when somebody picks up a book of my comics whether it's a, a young reader or, or a grown-up is um, looking at it and saying, hey, I think I'd like to write, I'd like to draw, I'd like to try to do a comic strip of my own. So just having somebody inspired to um, put their words on paper, get out a sketchbook and, and do, make a doodle, I mean, I think that's, that'd be the hugest compliment that I could receive is if my drawings inspired somebody to make work of their own.
0: Well, Grant Snyder, the book is The Art of Living, Reflections on Mindfulness and the Overexamined Life. Thanks so much for joining us.
1: Thank you, Beth. This was fun. That was
0: Grant Snyder, author of the book, The Art of Living, Reflections on Mindfulness and the Overexamined Life, which was published by Abrams Comic Arts. Thanks for joining us for Marginalia. If you enjoyed this podcast, please leave us a review. Marginalia was produced at KMUW Wichita. Our engineers are Mark Statzer and Torin Anderson. Our editor is Luann Stevens. Our producer is Haley Krausen. And our intern is Carly Cooper. This is Marginalia, and for KMUW, I'm Beth Golay.